Welcome to Celebrate Poe, an examination of the life, works, and times of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe. This podcast also looks at some of the many influences on Poe's writing, as well as some of the countless writers who have been influenced by Poe. This is Episode 72, Carmilla and Countess Dracula. If you have any comments or questions, please contact me at uh, CelebratePoe at gmail.com. That's CelebratePoe, all one word, CelebratePoe at gmail.com. Especially if you have any suggestions for areas uh, that you'd like to learn more about, please email me. Oh yes, uh, this podcast is getting closer and closer to Bram Stoker's Dracula. But first I want to talk about Carmelia. Carmilla is a feminine vampire story that was written by the Irish author Sheridan Le Fanu in 1872. Bram Stoker and Sheridan Le Fanu were both Irish and actually knew each other, but Carmilla precedes Dracula by 26 years. The character of Carmilla appears to be young, but is actually a 200-year-old aristocrat. Carmilla takes on the appearance of a young girl and befriends Laura, who is approximately the same age. Not 200, but she's a young lady. Uh, anyway, she constantly, const- Carmilla constantly tries to ask Laura about her private life and even appears to make advances towards her, but not in an obviously forward manner. After all, this was the 19th century though there is a definite homoerotic element. This homoerotic subtext is why uh, Carmela is often referred to as the first lesbian vampire story. Now, don't confuse Le Fanu's version of Carmela with the recent online version of Carmela, where the lesbian subplot is far more obvious. Now, getting back to the 1872 written version, uh, as Laura begins to spend more time with Carmilla, Laura begins to slowly waste away. Possessed of amazing strength, Carmilla can shapeshift, often stalking her prey in the form of a, a black cat. Carmilla appears to die, and then the family and friends finally put two and two together. They locate Carmilla's tomb, uh, strike her head from her body, therefore separating it, and driving a stake through her heart. Now, before Carmilla, vampires tended to be hideous and totally disgusting. But Le Fanu's lead character was at both uh, horrifying and desirable, characteristics that Stoker's Dracula also shared. And some critics have said that Carmilla is a far more complicated vampire, that she becomes involved with her victims both emotionally and, theoretically, sexually. The duality of Carmilla's character is suggested by her human attributes, the lack of predatory demeanor, and her shared experiences with Laura. The story of Carmela has a rather complicated plot, but I'd like to read a page, about a page from the story, to give you an idea of what a great job the author does in communicating suspense. The following brief section is told from the standpoint of Laura. 
I had a dream that night that was the beginning of a very strange agony. I cannot call it a nightmare, for I was quite conscious of being asleep. But I was equally conscious of being in my room and lying in bed, precisely as I actually was. I saw, or fancied I saw, the room and its furniture just as I had seen it last, except that it was very dark, and I saw something moving round the foot of the bed, which at first I could not accurately distinguish. But I soon saw that it was a, a sooty black animal that resembled a monstrous cat with the lithe, sinister restlessness of a beast in a cage. I, I could not cry out, although, as you may suppose, I was terrified. Its pace was growing faster and faster, and the room rapidly darker and darker, and at length so dark that I could no longer see anything of it but its eyes. I felt it spring lightly on the bed. The two broad eyes approached my face, and suddenly I felt a stinging pain as if two large needles darted an inch or two apart, deep into my breast. I waked with a scream. The room was lighted by the candle that burnt there all through the night, and I saw a female figure standing at the foot of the bed, a little at the right side. It was in a dark, loose dress, and its hair was down and covered its shoulders. A block of stone could not have been more still. As I stared at it, the figure appeared to have changed its place and was now nearer the door. Then, close to it, the door opened and it passed out. I was now relieved and able to breathe, move, and move. My first thought was that Carmilla had been playing me a trick and that I had forgotten to secure my door. I hastened to it and found it locked as usual on the inside. I was afraid to open it. I was horrified. I sprang into my bed and covered my head up in the bedclothes and lay there more dead than alive till morning. Now, although Carmilla is a lesser-known and far shorter vampire story than Dracula, it can be argued that Stoker's masterpiece was highly influenced by the Fenoux's work. You see, both stories are told in the first person. Dracula even expands on the idea of a first-person account by creating a series of journal entries and logs of different persons and creating a plausible background story for their having been compiled. In this sense, Dracula is a bit like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that we talked about earlier, uh, in that both are stories told from various viewpoints. Also, the descriptions of the title characters in Carmilla and Lucy in Dracula are very similar. Additionally, both women sleepwalk. Stoker's Dr. Abraham Van Helsing is similar to Lefanu's vampire expert, Baron Vordenberg. Both characters investigate and try to explain what is happening and they both take actions in opposition to the vampire. The, the symptoms described in Carmilla and Dracula are both highly comp comparable. 
and both Carmilla and Dracula pretend to be the descendants of much older nobles bearing the same names, but are eventually revealed to have the same identities as those nobles. For the rest of this podcast, I would like to talk about one of the real-life feminine monsters who may have been the inspiration for Dracula, Countess Catherine Bathory. Now, it's very obvious that humans love dark stories about the undead, but we've been loving those stories long before Bram Stoker ever wrote the first word of his novel Dracula. Perhaps one reason we like vampire stories so much is that vampire stories deal with the question, what happens to us after we die? Possibly possibly two of the main influences on Dracula were two women, the fictional character of Carmilla and the historical character of Elizabeth Bathory. Born in 1560, Elizabeth Bathory is often called Lady Dracula by many sources, and for good reason. Bathory is the most prolific female serial killer of all time and has the dubious distinction of being the most prolific female mass murderer in history. Let me say that another way. No woman in history has ever murdered so many people. Some sources claim that the reason she killed so many women was uh, as a way, in her mind, of staying young by being able to bathe in those women's blood. Before we go any further in this episode, let me warn you, the rest of this podcast, and for that matter, the upcoming episode about Vlad the Impaler as well, they both get pretty graphic. Now, Bram Stoker spent years in preparation and research before he started writing Dracula. On page 139 of an online copy of Stoker's original notes for Dracula, he makes the following notation about the Hungarian Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Quote, She was wont to dress well in order to please her husband and spent half the day over her toilet. On one occasion... A lady's maid saw something wrong in her headdress and, as a recompense for observing it, received such a severe box on the ears that the blood gushed from her nose and spurted, I like that word, spurted onto her mistress's face. When the blood drops were washed off her face, her skin appeared much more beautiful, whiter and more transparent on the spots where the blood had been. Elizabeth then formed the resolution to bathe her face and her whole body in human blood so as to enhance her beauty. Now, in her excellent book, Rejected Princesses, Tales of History's Boldest Heroines, Hellions, and Heretics, author Jason Pora writes about some of the strongest women in the world, women who have really made a difference. He includes such women as Countess Elizabeth Bathory, certainly not because she displayed behavior that should be emulated, but because of her influence on history and larger-than-life personality. Now, the next part can get really gruesome. Pora writes that according to Countess Bathory's surviving testimonials, she kept her servants chained up every night so tight that their heads turned blue and they spurted blood 
there's that word spurted again, spurted blood. She would beat her servants at the slightest pretext, beat them so much that there was blood on the walls and beds. She was said to have become so angry with a servant one time that she strangled the servant to death with a silk scarf. She even burned her servants with metal sticks, red-hot keys and coins, ironed the soles of their feet, and slowly struck, stuck burning iron rods into their vaginas. I'm speechless. (laughs) On occasion, she would stick needles into their mouths and fingernails and cut their hands, lips, and noses with a set of large scissors. Sometimes she would simply sew their lips and tongues together. Now, are you grossed out yet? Often she would keep her servants from eating for a week at a time, and if they got thirsty, force them to drink their own urine. She enjoyed forcing them to stand outside in the winter, standing in tubs of ice water up to their necks until they died. She also enjoyed forcing her servants to cook and eat their own flesh, usually from the buttocks. For variety, she would often have the servants make sausages from their flesh and serve it to guests. She would also enjoy heating up a cake to red-hot temperatures and forcing a servant to eat it. And last, but definitely not least, Bathory especially enjoyed torturing young girls. She even had a whole torture chamber set up in her castle and liked to take her female servants there. When the unlucky ladies arrived, she would uh, jam pins and needles under their nails before killing them. If somehow that didn't seem to satisfy her thirst for blood, she began to abduct peasant girls and go to all kinds of sadistic lengths to kill them. It's recorded that she would often bite chunks out of the girls' faces and arms. And eventually, she became infamous for believing that drinking the blood of young girls would keep her young forever and make her immortal. Elizabeth Bathory did come close to getting caught when she began going through elaborate, deceptive means to lure pretty girls from ruling families in Transylvania. And while Bathory was imprisoned, she never had a trial— She never really got to speak in her own defense, and her family records were mostly destroyed. Of course, some of the stories surrounding uh, the Countess may very well be questionable. There were certainly enough people in her country who had a grudge against her or wanted revenge and exaggerated events to make her look bad. Another reason that some of the stories surrounding her might be exaggerated or even false was that the printing press had been invented around this time. In other words, the beginning of mass communication. Gruesome or scandalous stories always have a built-in audience, and the exploits of crimes of Elizabeth Bathory would have made for popular reading and I can easily see how they might have been exaggerated. We do know, though, that she was a mass murderer, but we will probably never know the exact number of victims. Hopefully, you can now see how Bram Stoker might have used stories or legends surrounding the Countess to create a character 
that, like Dracula, also drank blood to remain immortal. Or at least they thought drinking blood would make them immortal. And this is a historical character. Now, sources for this episode include Carmilla by Sheridan Le Fanu, the vampire book The Legend, The Lore, The Allure by Sally Reagan, Tales of History's Boldest Heroines, Hellions, and Heretics by Jason Pora, Dracula by Bram Stoker, and Bram Stoker's Original Foundation Notes and Data for His Dracula by Bram Stoker, annotated and transcribed by Robert Bissig and Elizabeth Miller. Why not visit my podcast website at celebratepoe.buzzsprout.com. That's celebratepoe, all one word, buzzsprout, all one word, dot com. Celebratepoe.buzzsprout.com. Click on the episode you want to learn more about to see its show notes and a transcript. Now, in the next episode, I want to talk about a bloodthirsty ruler who frequently is cited as one of the main inspirations for Stoker's masterpiece, the original Dracula. Yes, the original Dracula is also known as Vlad the Impaler. And if you think that Elizabeth Bathory's exploits were gruesome, well, wait till you hear about the cruel murders and disgusting tortures committed by the historical Dracula. Then I would like to take a brief look at how Poe used torture in two of his most famous works, The Cask of Amontillado and The Pit and the Pendulum. This month, I want to concentrate on vampires, Bram Stoker's Dracula, some of the print and film versions, and Edgar Allan Poe's stories about the undead, and possibly go into September with some of that information if necessary. Then Celebrate Poe will specifically cover Edgar Allan Poe's years as a child in England, especially his education. I'm finding some exciting stuff regarding the information that he learned, especially in the form of classical rhetoric, information that he learned to become one of America's greatest writers. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.